You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 64. Hey guys, welcome back. In the previous episode of the Metaverse Podcast, I said we'd be covering the topic of personal development and leveling up your inner game. Well, we're taking a short break from that series, because today I've got John Coviello and Gary Sprawl with me on the show, and we're exploring some of the changes to the industry that have come down the pipe recently. We go over Games Workshop changing their policy about online shopping carts, minimum advertised pricing, and organized play changes made by Wizards of the Coast in the past few days. There's also a couple other subjects that get thrown in there. We also talk about the recent influx of counterfeit product hitting the market and the impact on the games business. So with that said, let's dive in. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the show where we talk about building profitable and successful game businesses. And I have with me my friends and co-hosts, John Colviello and Gary Sprawl. And today we're talking about some of the major recent changes to the games industry and what they mean for the business. But first, it's been a while since we've had the, the game together, so let's go around and I'm going to get you guys to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about what's been going on in your businesses. So let's start with my left. We'll start with John and we'll go around and do that. Hey, everyone. This is, um, I'm John. Um, and I don't know, does the name come across on the... Yeah, it's, it shows up on the... So I won't forget my channel. name. That's good. And maybe I'll even be better about remembering everybody else's name because I'm poor about that. So anyway, but I'm John Coviel. I'm from the Little Shop of Magic. I own the Little Shop of Magic up in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we recently, um, this last October, moved locations to kind of directly across the street and spend the store at about three times the size. Since then, we've been uh, navigating the um, the alleyways and red tape and bureaucracies involved with opening up a cafe inside our shop. Um, we've added rental rooms. We've uh, oh, we're bringing in ice cream. I know that's happening next week or a week after that. So um, yeah, it's just been an interesting ride. Um, mostly concentrating on expanding product lines right now and it's uh it's been a successful move a little bit of frustrations here and there um mostly with rec system uh, so here in nevada you basically look at two two potential things that'll happen with your lease one of them is like you pay uh, a lot more rent and you have insurance in other words the landlord takes care of the ac or you get in this other lease where it's basically you pay a lot less rent but if something happens with the ac and one of our compressors just went out about three weeks ago, they finally figured out what it is. We're looking at another $4,000 in repairs. So that puts us at about $20,000. Hey. That's a bill. That's a yeah. Bill. <sighs> so, you know, and uh, the interesting with that is like, okay, so this and that, and the landlord changed ownership and the new ones aren't the greatest, <laughs> you know, but that happened last year. So we're coping with all these things. And in the meantime, trying to figure out this cafe situation, what we're doing with it, but yeah. You know, Right now, we're just waiting on county to figure out if we need a grief trap or not. Even though we don't generate griefs, they kind of want one, maybe. I don't know. Architect says no. County says maybe. <laughs> so, so it's all kind of on hold. And in the meantime, we keep doing what we do best, which is we're expanding the game store, so the game selections. I think that's about it for me. I'm sure something will come up in the middle of the conversation here, but that's a quick recap. I don't want to tie up the whole conversation with it. <laughs> Gosh, I'm sorry about your air conditioning, John, but um, ours failed uh, about a month ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of course, it's a gigantic 
machine from the 1800s on the roof that's going to cost a fortune. Fortunately, we just expanded and the new area we moved into has a brand new unit. Nice. So we're just stealing air from one side over to the other. Yeah, we're lucky enough. We, we have five units total. So we're wow. lucky without that one. But the, the three of the private rooms are unusable because that makes yeah. sense into that. And there's no way. Not, not right. Right. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly as John says, that's a, that's a big part of it is, you know, you call your landlord and they go, you're on your own. So uh, we finished our expansion, gosh, almost a year ago. We're mostly expanding product lines right now. Um, the big thing we're dealing with is um, staffing. You know, staffing has uh, become quite uh, quite a challenge now that we have much more floor space and much more business because our business picked up significantly. Um, and you also need more people to handle that. And uh, you know, finding good people and coming up with the money to uh, to schedule good people. Um, and we're moving into video games. So I've got some good friends uh, in the retail business who are helping me out with some advice and uh, getting into a product line that I know nothing about, but I'm ex anxious to learn a lot more about. I mean, I know a little bit about it. I mean, I used to work in video games, so I know that end of the, the business. I just don't know the retail end of the business. So are you doing like vintage stuff? Yeah, yeah, Buying used stuff? games, yeah, mostly retro stuff. Um, big challenge right now is uh is buying right letting people know that we're willing to pay cash for video games and you you brought in accessories already right we did we did you can buy new uh, accessories so we already have a big selection of those right by the front door so that people walk in and go oh you guys do video games now yeah. so we're excited by that I, I have this 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 dilemma of figuring out which one's going to happen first because we want to do the same thing but it's a cafe Video games, I don't want to get my hands in too many things at once. So in the meantime, it's all on pause. But I, I know what you mean when you say, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I'm learning. We have some great <laughs> kids that are incredible and in helping us out. So Yeah. Yeah. So why video games? Like, why did you want to get into this product line? Why go that way? Just well, before we begin. Uh, you, you have to diversify, right? You mm -hmm. have to diversify with as much, uh, as much stuff as possible. Um, and... Dealing in used things is something that we already have a process for because we do a tremendous amount of uh, singles for magic cards and other collectible card games like Destiny. So we already have the process built in for that. Um, and we already have the computer system built in for it. And we have a staff that's already enthusiastic about video games. They're all, they're all gamers. So you're looking at what you can leverage to get more of that kind of system working um, and buying used things and reselling them is can be very profitable if you know how to do it right if you take in too much of the stuff that won't sell that's a problem uh, but if you can figure out the right price to buy it for and the right price to sell it for um, it, it can be quite profitable um, the other things we've we've looked at a lot of different things we looked at comics good and hard comics are another you know equal level of um diversification, but we didn't have the systems built in for comics. That would be basically starting from scratch. And we have a couple of people on staff that are enthusiastic about comics, but not the whole staff. So that's another factor. And that makes sense. It was uh, the same thing. We're looking at extra square footage to populate with something. Um, Gary's right. We didn't have a system up until last year that really worked well for us for singles. We do now, and it's working like a charm. 
Um, so it's, it, as a matter of fact, the same system is supposed to bring in video games online eventually. Um, so we're literally looking at what do you do with the space? And I did comics. Um, when we first started, we were we partnered up with a comic book store and we were sort of splitting the rent. Um, and it worked like a charm because they were passionate about comics. I was passionate about games. Um, I, I don't want this comics. I'm not passionate about comics. Right? I, I read the occasional thing here and there. So it's not something I have an interest in. Nobody in my staff has an interest in. When when we did it for about three years, because we were the only comic book store in, in our old town of Flagstaff, I hated every Wednesday. I just despised every shipment that came in. It just And ordering for me was just, I, I threw darts on the board and hoped that something stuck, right? So I'm um, probably not gonna go that route, but the video games, the last component for us is the added value for the customer. Um, singles for us, it's it's, now that we have an online system, we're seeing a lot of sales, but before it was mostly a service to the customer. You know, you're short one week and you want to trade in a card that you're not using or you want to get into a board game, but you don't quite have all of that. Um, video games is just another way for you to be able to trade into what you want. So, you know, it's, um, we look at it from a perspective like, yes, we are going to make money on it. Don't get me wrong. Otherwise, I don't know how much of a point there is to doing it. Um, but realistically speaking, if we're going to also add value to the customer, it's a win-win for both of us. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Not sure how to segue this is what we were going to talk about, but I'm sure we can, <laughs> sure we just jam it in here. So what, which, uh, which of the major changes do you guys want to talk about first? I'm going to, we're going to hit on the minimum advertised pricing games workshop, some other stuff. Which one's the which one's the most impactful for you guys? Uh, for me personally, probably the GW and the maps, but I don't like they're equivalent in my book. So. Yeah, GW is, is less of a factor for us, uh, but uh, it's now growing because of these changes. So that's interesting. Do you, so do you actively, I know that you, in the past we had talked about, you'd sell mostly, is it the bones and not the pre-paints? Is that what the problem was? With, with, I remember you were, I don't know how heavy of a miniature store you are. Uh, we're not. We're, we're a board game store, uh, magic store, and... Uh, we do have miniatures games that have loyal followings, but I, I wouldn't call us a miniature store. We carry um, GW, we carry 40K, we carry Malifaux, we carry Guild Ball, uh, and they all have the, they all have good fans for them. Uh, yeah. Well, but, and I don't know how deep you go, but I would still qualify you as having, you're a game store, so you do have a miniature section, and it's not. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Uh, when she said GW, that's a substantial uh, investment of capital right there, right? So, yes. Um, so, well, anyways, wait, Thomas, pick one. Do you want to go with uh, GW? Yeah. Sure, we've been talking about that. So let's, let's go with that. So, yeah, so I guess a summary of what's happening would be helpful for the listener. So basically, Games Workshop has been, well, offline. They've been restricting retailers from selling online through an online shopping cart for like 13 years or something, like over a decade. Yeah, over a decade. Over a decade. For sure. And then just recently, in the last couple of months, they've decided to basically reverse that policy. And now... There's a lot of restrictions as to what you can do, but you are now allowed to sell Games Workshop products through an online shopping cart again. So I guess this is like, it's, it's quite a flip-flop. You know, like maybe they've got some new evidence that says this will be fine, but originally like the fears were that they were gonna devalue the brand and like people were gonna discount the, the, uh, the models like crazy and make it, you know, and kind of destroy their player base because it's seen as a, uh, 
like a luxury high value hobby, right? Like it's not something that they want to be devalued. So that's quite a change for them. So you mentioned that, but there's, there's a lot of changes that have happened and mostly it's a change in leadership, right? A lot of this has come with the new CEO on board. Um, and you, you use the word there that I want to key into the fear of, and I think that was part of the problem with the old leadership. There was a lot of decisions based on fear rather than actual, Hey, what is actually going on? Because yeah, data. Um, and the reality is uh, I, I go back to a simple adage. I, I believe prohibition doesn't work. It doesn't help. It doesn't, you're just creating bootleggers and you're creating speakeasies and it just, for the most part, if you can find a more sensible approach to it, you'll have a better solution. Um, now, apart from being able to sell online, which I, I know Gary does minimal and I do a little bit more kind of situation. I mean, like I said, I want to sound like I'm an only an online seller. I mean, 20, 25% of my sales come from online. Um, but um, in general, the changes have been positive and just, just forgetting the online, which is coupled with a map, which is the important thing. We'll talk about maps later. Um, there's the fact that um, they've been more proactive about giving us uh, um, early information on releases. That helps us promote it. Um, there's no question about it. 40K is just on fire right now. New edition is just popular as all get-go. And I haven't seen this company put out uh, this massive amount of product at such a price point that I know a lot of people still say, oh, too expensive. But when you look at what you're getting with some of these intros, like the, Gary, did you get that new um, getting started dump? You know I about? haven't, I haven't gotten it yet, but I will get it. We have the uh, battle of Vedros um, getting started section, yeah. which was designed for toy stores, but we brought it in anyway. And John's absolutely correct. Um, I haven't seen the price per model um, of GW stuff as low as it's as it is right now. Some of their getting started stuff is 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 very very affordable. Yeah, and it, and they're also all push push uh, together models. You don't have to glue them. You literally just cut them off the screw, put them together, push them together. I mean, I can't think of a better time if you ever thought about 40k than to get into yeah. 40k. Um, there's also that um, Shadow Wars Armageddon, which is a great skirmish game. It's based on Necromunda. So they've done all the right steps. Before it was like no. All these side games distract from 40K and fantasy, so we're not going to do them at all. We're not going to support them. We're not going to do anything. So they lost this sort of like getting new people into it, right? It was like, oh, you want to play 40K? It was $500 and you start your arm, right? That's, yeah. that's definitely a change that I've seen um, happen over the last two years. Um, and it's, it's incredible what the results are. People are excited. I got new people. And I got remiss veterans getting back into it. Um, I'm a little meh about the redoing all their product lines to have trademarkable names because it's causing a whole bunch of confusion with my staff going, this is Adeptus what now? Wasn't it just a battle the last year? You know, so, so that is a challenge for my staff to get to learn all the new names and understand what goes with what. But um, yeah, I can't speak enough good things about GW right now, the things that they're doing. And, and they kind of needed to, right? I feel like they were losing a little bit of ground there for a bit. Um, so I'm happy with it. Heck, my stock is happy with it too. So you know, what I mean, yeah, John's John's absolutely right. The uh, it's it's not the allowing us to sell online that's going to make the game popular. It's their change in philosophy. They're just they're just helping out all retailers across the board at all kinds of levels. Yeah, seems like a pretty good move on the part of the new leadership, like you said. And I mean, and there will still be naysayers no matter what you do, especially when you get in a position of sort of like being at the top over there there's somebody that's going to hate you or somebody that's basically going to say, look, man, this should cost five cents, not a dollar. Right. And 
there's not much you can do about that. I mean, um, this is not necessarily a hobby for anybody. I mean, I just, I just recently decided to go back to the range and, and start putting some rounds down in the <laughs> target, right? And then I, I, I bought 350 bullets and that was $120. Yep. <laughs> I can blow through that in an afternoon, right? So it's, you look at what you can afford, you pick what your hobby is and you go with that. So. Yeah, I've, I've had that conversation with one of my friends too, who likes to golf. Yeah. You try and you compare a regular golfer to virtually any of the you know local game store hobbies. They comparatively are not that expensive at all, right? Like you know, a magic deck will cost you a few hundred bucks, and you could spend five, ten dollars a week just playing in events, and that'd be that. Whereas if you're an avid golfer, you're spending like two, three thousand dollars on your clubs, and then you're probably spending like fifty bucks a week if you go, you know, relatively regularly. And chances are you suck. That's also another <laughs> thing about golf too, right? It's okay because I suck at magic, so, you know what I mean? Play for 20 years and still be terrible. One of those, that's a sign of a good game, I think. So I guess that rolls into what we were going to talk about next with the, uh, the maps, right? Because that's part of the, the, uh, the factor of them releasing sure. or mm-hmm. allowing retailers to sell online is that uh, you can't, you can only advertise for a, you can't advertise for more than a specific discount, which I, th- I believe is 20% was what they set the number at. For GW. For GW. I mean, we choose to not go that low, to be honest with you. I kind of, so to put things a little bit in perspective, and Gary can back me up on this, um, I have no qualms about telling people what I make, right? I mean, if you look at it, we are lucky if we're able to get Keystone pricing, which is basically, look, if I buy an item for $10, uh, sorry, if I'm selling an item for $10, I bought it for five, right? So if I were to discount that item 20%, I literally lost 40% of my income. It's just gone. And that's a best case scenario. So 20% off is a little steep, but you know, it's it's something because you have people out there who will literally go down to 40, 45% off. And from a perspective, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, the problem is it's not a sustainable um, model and it's not a sustainable industry when you have that kind of effect. Uh, it just won't happen. So I guess I should say what, what's a map? A map is a minimum advertised pricing policy, right? That's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but you, in a summary is you can't advertise it for more than X amount off or what, whatever. Um, doesn't stop you from selling at whatever you want to do. There's, there's no provisions for that nor by Federal Trade Commission, should there be kind of situation? But we have an issue where, um, you know, you, if this was just an industry where everybody that came to your store supported your store somehow, some way, right? In other words, they bought coffee, they bought um, miniatures, then you wouldn't need to worry about this. But the problem is you still have a large, I don't know if it's large, but a certain percentage of the population who wants the perks of the brick and mortar store, whatever those may be, community, place to play, um, time away from home, whatever it may be, but yet don't understand that in order for that ecosystem to survive and thrive, yeah, it's kind of got to be a certain price as what the item needs to sell for so that we can make whatever it is that we're going to make and keep employees paid, which seems to be important, pay our taxes, which also seems to be important, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the attempt with these maps. Um, Gary, did you have anything to chime in? I don't want to. Well, it's it, from the manufacturers and um, it, it, it's, could be argued that it's better for them to have deep discounters because they'll go through more product, um, which, and the manufacturers get paid the same, whether, you know, no matter what we sell it at, they still get paid the same. Uh, the problem comes in with the sustainability. Like John said, it's your, your product quickly gets the reputation as being something cheap. Um, 
and uh, and and that leads to uh, to other problems. So it's it's not something that they put in to protect retailers. Um, they don't really care about my third space. Um, it's they're they're looking to protect the value of their brand. And if I were to compare us to anything, we're, we're rather unique because if you listen to an economist, you're right, right? I mean, fundamentally, the cheapest possible price, move as much of it as possible, that's the way to go. And I understand that concept for most consumable goods. Tube of toothpaste, I don't care, man. I just want to pay less for it, right? I mean, it does the same work. As long as it, it cleans my teeth, it, it does what it's supposed to do, then the cheapest possible price wins. I don't need anybody's support. I can go to the, to the store, buy the toothpaste, we're done. The, the catch you run into with the gaming industry is that we're much more similar to something like auto dealerships, right? If you look at the way auto dealerships are set up, they have all kinds of provisions with the actual car manufacturer. Like a car manufacturer can't necessarily just on a whim fire a dealership or close it down no matter how little. Or how, they have a lot of sort of like contracts between each other that happen because the reality is when you buy a car, you need the support. You need to have somewhere to go get it fixed. You need to have somebody to answer the questions of how to operate. You know, it's... A car manufacturer can't survive without a dealership, realistically speaking, right? And it's what I hear from the publisher side of you. Gary's right. They're not necessarily trying to protect us, but they need us. So they have to kind of keep that going in a certain way that, you know, everybody's happy. We get new recruits. They don't get product devalued. It's, it's way more complex than, than people make it out to be at first. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's easy to say, I don't need a store. And I would challenge people to do that. that. That's great. But then for a year, don't walk into the store. Don't go play an event. Don't do any. Try that and, and see how that works. And you might understand it. Even then, you're still getting some side benefits from Gary generating more players and keeping a forum going or anything like that, right? So it's so intertwined that it's impossible to separate the two and still have a thriving industry, in my opinion. Right. And uh, even if you can survive without a local store, which you know a lot of people do because they don't have a local store, their local store isn't very good. How much of that your gaming infrastructure is provided by stores? You know, the blog that you read uh, is probably a store uh, that's that's doing all that work. Um, all the uh, the extra you know tokens or whatever things that they're making for the game. How much of those are are done by stores that are looking to get more customers? Yeah. And even indirectly, a publisher, right, needs that infrastructure to generate the revenue that they need to keep the production going, to keep the advertising going, to, to, to do all these things. I've, I've, there's been a couple examples of publishers that have gone completely on their own. Um, and Look at role-playing games. Well, yeah. I mean, so, okay. So, no disrespect to anybody, but, I mean, Columbia Games, if you guys remember, it was shit countered style games and for a while there they just decided that we don't need retailers we're just going to go direct I, I believe in a year they were back to like oh can we get these in stores um and sort of same thing happened with white wolf when they went all digital and i'm not even sure what's going on with that right now i, I get requests yeah. every once in a while but i can't get any product i mean i can't it's all hey, sorry guys and i can't support that you know i can't i can't help them grow the community i can't do anything about it so it's, yeah. it's definitely a complex complex topic and i think to go back to what uh, gary was saying before i think it's a it's, it's not that they're they don't care about the retailer i think i think the manufacturers and the publishers they know that without the game stores their their customer base would be far smaller if not like almost non-existent right like they are you are the marketing arm of their business right for, for the most part you're the ones who sell their games and promote their games and all that other good stuff 
on top of what they already do. I think a map is more of a like a long-term strategy to try and preserve the value and then keep everything kind of going. But there's a lot of a lot of difficulties associated with it, right? Like the uh, well, the enforceability was one of the major problems that uh, a lot of companies kind of run into when they try and enforce something like this. Because like, how do you enforce it, right? How do you police this? And that's one of the the major issues that uh, a lot of the game companies have run into, right? Like there was an article on uh, ICV2 about how a vast majority, like a huge amount of all commerce occurs on Amazon and Amazon doesn't really care about maps. It's not something that they really do. Like they kind of say they care, but they're not going to go out of their way to shut down sellers on Amazon who are not following a manufacturer's map. It's up to either the publisher or, or the, uh, competitors basically like the retail stores to go in and report this person and then there's the fact that you don't know if anything's being done right there's it's it's tough it's tough but it seems like something that's kind of like a necessary effort having spoken to a couple of publishers who have maps um it's a lot of work so i commend them for for doing this i mean um some have gone to the extent of actually putting rf tags in the boxes to figure out where this stuff is going. And, you know, so there is a lot of work having been on the receiving end of like nasty grams. There are automated systems. <laughs> work, okay? I mean, um, we, we are not infallible. I mean, we have to tell our computer system, hey, because we try as much as possible to expose our product on as many selling channels as possible, right? So what will happen there, if I don't code an item in the system, so don't do not, that no matter what we tell, stop. Don't discount more than this for whatever reason on this, even if we're trying to get rid of it, right? Um, we'll get an, an email typically from, from the publisher and whatever not. It's a bit of a frustrating process sometimes because getting a live person on the other end with some companies is difficult. So when I go, hey, I'm sorry I messed up, where did I mess up? And I don't get any communication back for weeks or I get shut down before I even get a chance to go, let me fix the problem. It's, it's frustrating, and, but I understand why it's being done. It's fine. So there are some things that, that are automated, right? So... Um, but I don't want to diminish it in any way, shape or form because it's a lot of work on their part. They got to call somebody, they got to knock this off and stop doing it. But in general, the most effective tool they have is to simply go, we will not sell to you any longer. And to me, that is an ultimate deterrent because if Anna, Asmodee North America, um, and if you guys aren't familiar with who they are, they, they're this conglomerate that pretty much carries fantasy flight games, days of wonder. Seaman games. There's a whole bunch of people. If they were decided to go, you know what, John, we're not going to sell to you anymore. Um, I would really have a hard time recouping those losses. I need that product, right? So it is in my best interest to comply, but it's also my best interest to comply because in 10, 20 years, if we don't do this now, there isn't an industry. So there won't be a store for John to run. So I want to comply regardless of punishment that's not that's not really i really believe in this and i think it's, it's necessary so um you know uh, how can you enforce it there, there are excuse me there are ways to do it and they do do it and some are better than others i will say that much and i'm going to check one more thing arcing <laughs> um which is basically fundamentally if you're going to put in a map you need to have the conviction to enforce it. Otherwise, all you've done is stop the people that will comply, like me, from selling. And the people that weren't going to give two hoots about what you were doing, they'll keep going, right? So there's a fine balance. If you're going to do it, just understand that it's going to take some effort and some policing on, on your part. Mm. 
similar to your uh, prohibition analogy. Like, yeah, the people who are already going to, you know, follow the law, they're just going to keep doing it. That's not really the problem. It's the people who aren't following the rules. They're not going to follow that rule either. So you have to, you know, put some consequences behind it. And then a lot, of, a lot of this is focused on online sales, but the reality, what I like about Maps is that it's universal. It doesn't matter where you're advertising. If you're just selling a brick and mortar store, but you're running a brick and mortar store at 30, 40, 45% off, you're causing the same amount of damage that you will, maybe, maybe less damage because you don't reach as far as the internet, but your local friendly neighborhood stores are suffering because of your actions, right? So it's, it's you're still doing, you're causing a problem. Yeah, especially in that situation, you're you're also like kind of playing the short-term game, but yeah. you've already pulled the pin on the grenade, and it's just a matter of time before you destroy your business because you're to, like your margins are so razor thin at that point that like it's just all it'll take is like one thing, like your air conditioner to go out, and you're like, ah, I have no money anymore. My cash flow is gone because like you just you, you can't move that much volume with only like a two percent margin or something crazy like that, right? Like when it's that small, it's just you're not going to make it. So you're killing yourself, but you're also taking down your local area too. So don't do that. So that was the maps. I think that was a pretty good, good hash out of the whole thing. What else has been going on? So we've got uh, one of the major changes as a uh, uh, kind of upset a certain number of magic players. Uh, Wizards has decided to alter their organized play rewards program. They've gone from, well, the thing that most people care about, they've gone from F and M promos, of somewhat relevant cards to standard to double-sided foil tokens. And they're trying a few other, few other things to, uh, I guess, shake things up with their OP program. What do you guys think about this? Do you think it'll improve? Think it'll be a problem? Well, they're trying something which is positive because, uh, right, right now magic is, uh, it's got a problem getting enough players into stores. Um, and it, it's not surprising. They've been on a, what, seven-year, ten-year tear of just amazing amount of business and events selling out all the time. Back to, you know, probably a more normal level of event participation. But they're, they're, they're aware of that, and they're, they're trying their best to uh, try new things and get new players into the game. Yeah, and um, things like we've had mixed opinions. We're mostly, if I had to categorize my players, they're mostly casual. They want to come in, have a good time, play. Um, so they, I mean, yeah, the, the FNM promo is appreciated. We do a little like participation thing where if you play for Friday Night Magic in a row, you get a pack. They're much more interested in that than they are necessarily in like, um, sorry, I should say the casual players are happy with whatever you give them. If, they're, if it's a foil double-sided token, if it's a shiny FNM promo, they're just happy to be playing basically. My grinders are a little more upset, but I don't have a lot of those. So realistically speaking, I don't think it's going to affect my store too much. Um, in general, for me, what works best are things like the open, uh, the open house. Um, so this trying to get new players in is really what I see as beneficial. And I'm not sure those double-sided tokens who they would appeal to. I guess the newer player potentially is what they're shooting for. Um, you know, I'm not enough of a magic player myself to really judge that. But I think it'll really depend on the double-sided token itself, like what they are. Like I know that uh, they, they've tried like specialty foil tokens a couple of times, and like there's a servo thopter which is really relevant for like this current standard yeah. that's pretty popular amongst like people who are like oh i want to i'm a competitive player i think this is really cool because it's actually very it's relevant to the decks that are played in like a competitive environment and there's also a, a foil energy 
token that they've uh, they gave away at a specific event. I can't remember which one, but uh, that was pretty popular amongst those those kinds of players. So it depends if they just like randomly giving out worms or you know I don't know what else for the random like uh, the Amaket Eternalize. We can't remember the mechanic name at this point. What's it called? Eh, whatever. The one that like resurrects the creature. If they get there's just a bunch of those tokens, it's kind of be like, oh well, you know, these look cool, I guess, but they're not that important. They're not relevant to the game for a lot of magic players. So it depends on what the thing is. In the same way that FNM promos, it really depended on what the card was. Like uh, September is sure. Fatal Push, right? So Fatal Push is a very it's a, it's one of the most expensive cards. Or it's the most expensive uncommon in Aether Revolt. And it's like it's relevant to almost every format now at this point because it's so it's a it's a great card and that's the FNM promo for September so people are really excited for this, but the past like twelve months have been just kind of like I don't even know what the promos were because they were they didn't matter, <laughs> so it really depended on what they were putting out as the cards, but uh yeah so it depends on what they choose, and what the what cards they they end up being. So I actually have a question since Wayne's not here today unfortunately, um, Gary how how much of a Magic player are you? Uh, not very much. I, I know how to play the game and I can sit and draft and, uh, and, uh, and get through a game, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm competitive in any way. So that, that puts us at like, usually the balance is two board gamey kind of guys and two magic -y kind of yeah. guys. Right? So I'm going to ask this question to Thomas. Would you feel, so you mentioned attendance, which is something we've been struggling with over the, the, the past few years. I mean, we kind of gave up on the whole, for those of you that are familiar, WPN, uh, the Wizard Play Network has different levels of, of uh, like who you are. Like there's Gateway, which is the very beginning thing, and then Advanced and Advanced Plus. And we are Advanced Plus for the longest time since they started the program. I think lately we haven't been because we can't get one event to be 50 plus. Everything else is great. Uh, but the question about attendance, I would, I would ask Thomas, is do you feel that it's more of an issue of the stagnation of the game if there is such a thing? Or is it an issue of like there's so many places to play that it is difficult to get like one store to maybe have that sort of dominance of getting all the players. Hmm. That is interesting. I actually, I was trying to do some, uh, some research and outreach to the local area to see what, you know, why particular players went to particular stores. Like what about those stores drew your attention to be, you became loyal to those. And I find it, or I found that a lot of it was just kind of proximity. That was a, a major factor for a lot of people just cause it's my closest store. I'll go to that one. Yeah. Like price elasticity wasn't really, didn't really matter. Like, it could be cheap, it could be expensive. If it was the closest one, that's the one you went to. But uh, and that is an interesting question as to like, if it's the game or if it's just the abundance of stores spreading out the player base. And I think, it, I think it's probably like half-half, really. Because I've, I've known, uh, like at least the stores in my local area, there's a lot of them too, there's a whole bunch, that uh, they've all kind of like risen and fallen at the same time. So like it, they've kind of like, oh, they all have great attendance. They all have really uh, like power, like, really popular events or they don't. So it's not so much, I think in that sense, like, yeah, everything's kind of spread out and your player base is, is really localized, but the quality of the game, whatever set is kind of like being drafted at that point or, you know, wherever magic happens to be, whatever standard happens to be like, and standard's been in a rough spot for the last like six months, right? Because of all the bannings and all the problems that wizards kind of made with all their changes that they've uh, introduced yeah. recently. Uh, people have been kind of put off. So a lot of events have been down from what they were 12 months ago because people are not that interested in playing. But it is all across the board, I think. And I guess it depends on the city that you're in then. Yeah. Like how widely spaced out your stores are. Like if 
we have a Vegas is a very much a it's too far because it's five minutes away. Uh, so I definitely feel the geographical <laughs> impact, right? I'm I'm used to New York and Rome. Both of those are five minutes. I wish, you know, but but here you hear a lot of that. So I didn't think about that until you mentioned it. But yeah, I mean, I would say some proximity. Uh, look, I really don't like to go there, but it's closer to me, so I'm going there. You know, kind of situation. Um, I think that's the major factor. Like, it's not the only reason people will go to a particular store, but that's like the number one priority for people. It's like, if this is the easiest way for me to get to, like it's five minutes from my house or five minutes from my work or something, that's the one they'll probably go to. But I think, you know, you can obviously pull people away to a different, from a different community if you make your events like either good enough or your prizes are high enough or, you know, you just do it better. Like that, that will definitely pull people away from, uh, from the most well, proximate for, store. For us, it's not so much the doing it better. It's from what I've, the magic customers that I've talked to, it seems to be the relative level of competitiveness. Um, I don't like going to that store because they're super cutthroat over there. Mm. Uh, I don't, I'd rather go to this store because they're super casual or the other way around. Players want a certain level of competitiveness. Some people want you know the best players right they want to get those um some people are like oh i just want to i just want to play casually um there's there's only a certain there is a certain amount of things a store can do to influence that um but not a lot um you're you you have the players that you have um but you can adjust pricing structure to attract more casual players but for me that's what i found is that the players are, are generally interested in a place they're going to be comfortable playing Although our events are, are, are down significantly, our single sales aren't. They're up. Um, so it's not, it's not that we're selling cards to competitive players. We're selling them to casual players who are playing you know, with their friends. And just like from the beginning days of Magic, um, my wife has a deck that <laughs> I need to beat. Right? And what card do you have that will help me beat her dragon deck? Right? That's what they're looking for. Yeah. And I, I'm going to mirror that. I mean, well, for me, it's a little difficult to say my singles are up. Well, yeah, because we weren't really doing much with them for, for a while. So they're definitely up. Um, but I've heard that from several people that single sales are doing okay uh, and attendance in general is down. So, you know, you're right on one thing, Gary, though. Um, you're kinda, you, you have to adjust to the players that you have, right? If you have more competitive players and that's what they want. Uh, but there are a few number of things you can do. Like I found it um, pricing, like the way you do your price structure. Um, can change and influence if, if you're you know you're giving out like a lot of store credit for example where people can buy your high-end singles or something like that that's an attraction for more of a, of a grindy kind of situation um or you know you more i don't know, you want to call them experience but like a little more involved players versus a casual we tend to we tend to usually spread the price pool impacts way down right so it doesn't matter where you came in what position we pay based on number of victories right so we found that that means we get a little more casual like look well, again don't have to worry too much about this. I'm going to get some pack or something like that if I show up and win two games. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, I think there's some finale you can do, but you're right. You also have to adjust your player base. In other words, what they want is if you can give it to them, then those are the players you're going to get. Yeah, I think the price of the entry event or the entry fee for an event is less important to the, uh, the player than it is how you pay out the prizes. Uh, the thing that will determine like how competitive your event is, is how heavily weighted towards the top the prize structure is. So like if you're giving out, you know, 80% of your packs or store credit or whatever it happens to be to the top three players, and everyone else just kind of, you know, gets a, whatever's left, the dregs, then you're going to pull in the people who are confident that they're going to win 
you know, or be in the top three, right? Like, so you're going to get those competitive players. Whereas uh, the stores that really like flatten out the pay structure, that's where you get the, like the pre-release kind of players where they just come out to have some fun and try something new. And if they win some packs, that's great. It's not really the goal though. They just want to come out and have fun. So uh, the prizing, that's one of the things that uh, I've seen has been the major factor for the kind of player that you're going to draw in. So I think the question is, you know, what does your local community or what is your local community composed of? Are they mostly casual or are they mostly competitive? And you should try and structure your prizes to pull in those kinds of players. Well, Friday Night Magic has always been billed as a, a casual, casual magic night. Um, and one of the things that, that I don't know, maybe you guys know, is the, the change to tokens. Is that a participation or is that like the old FNMs where, you know, they gave you a, a finite amount and you give them to the top players or maybe one at random? I believe it's supposed to replace the FNM promo. So it's the, I would imagine the exact so same idea. Yeah, you get a couple per event and you give one or two to like the top two players and randomly to someone else or however you choose to distribute them. But that's kind of the idea. Okay. Yeah, I haven't looked at it. I have talks. Um, I got three guys on staff to take care of magic and I'd have to ask them. But off the top of my head, I don't know either. But I think you're right. I think they're supposed to replace just, you know, straight up the FNM promo. So it's going to be a one-to-one. Well, now you sign up for an entire season, not by month. Right. Which is kind of beneficial because to be honest with you, the less amount of time I have to go there every month and do things, the, the better. But um, So it, interesting you said it's billed as casual. I, I no? Some stores just, just don't get it and, and it's fine if their player base wants competitive friday night magic i mean by all means follow your player base um but yeah I, I, we run into conflicts sometimes where people are like oh this i'm like you know look it's friday night magic why don't you come down to the pptq because that's that's a totally different thing right i mean so but yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's also another uh, another interesting conversation about trying to like kind of divert your players to where they kind of should be because yeah. I guess that's a, one of the perennial problems of Magic, right? Like a brand new player will come in to play FNM and then there's this group of grinders who play there all the time and they, you know, they may or may not be very friendly to the new player. And like the, if you don't kind of protect these fledgling Magic players, they can kind of get crushed and discouraged and, you know, maybe just wash out and never come back again, right? So you have to be able to kind of tailor your events and separate these people because they're like the hyper-competitive players, like if they're not you know, friendly ambassadors to the game, they shouldn't really be playing in the casual events, right? Like it's not like every other sport has the pro and the amateurs, the people who are like the really good. Yeah. You get diverted. You go to the, you go to the side, you play with people just like you and then everyone else you you're here for the fun. You pay play with people who are here for fun. And like a lot of stores, like you said, that they don't necessarily do that. And like FNM is supposed to be this like a uh, comfortable welcoming atmosphere for yeah, new players to get to know the game and veteran players to kind of just have some fun and, and meet new people, but not a lot of stores really like do anything about it. They're just like, yeah, whoever shows up, you know, the prize structure is what it is. I'm, I'm not going to change it. I don't care that much. And then probably missing a lot of opportunity there because your intro, your introductory event for new magic players is actually driving people away. You're, you're discouraging them. Right. And like uh, another aspect of something that uh, magic has tried recently is the magic open house and that's kind of something that wizards is trying to promote too right like they're trying to get stores to be like okay this is your friendly intro event do something with this like make this a uh, strict or maybe not a strict policy of uh, only new players and 
people who are well, they comfortable can't, teaching. They can't do that. They're, they, they're very clear about all events have to be open to all people. You yes. can't specifically say this is for beginners. But you can kind of promote that, like, this is a casual event. This is something that you should be bringing in people who are new to the game. This is what they're, this is for them. This is where you teach people how to play the game. And, you know, like they set up the promos to be something that's not attractive to the competitive people, right? Just kind of like, it's a, just a nice little thing to reward the casual players for coming in and trying the, trying the game out. And that's something that's, uh, I think that's a really good move on their part. Like, like Gary said, they, they can't really say, and I understand that you want to be welcoming to all. Um, so there's little subtle ways. Pricing is one of them, right? We mentioned it. I mean, if you really have prices that are not appealing to the grinder necessarily, it, he's probably going to gravitate somewhere else. Or you take that pricing structure that's appealing to the grinder and put it in the PPTQ, put it in the, mm -hmm. you know, whatever events you're going to host that are a higher their profile event or intentionally meant to be competitive. You keep that away from FNM you're going to attract a more casual crowd. You're also going to attack, attract some level of criticism. This store sucks because their prices aren't great or whatever not, you know. Uh, but uh, I love the open house. I really do. And what they've done with that is because we've gotten the, hey, what's in the free packs? And I can see that glimmer of like free stuff. Um, once they find out what's in it, most of the super uber mechan competitive players can care less. And they either don't show up or I get the ones that are pretty decent players but they're also very helpful. They understand that, look, if I help a new player get into the community right now, I'll get more players to play with. The only danger with that is getting the guys that are actively recruiting just so they can have a bigger, fatter prize pool, right? If I got uh, an event where the majority of the players are casual beginners and I'm halfway decent, I have a much better chance of scooping up this great prize than anybody else does. So there's a little bit of that you got to watch out for. But there are some things you can do without flat out saying i'm sorry you can't come i mean you're too yeah. Player, right so yeah and i guess the other the only other thing that really uh wizards has changed recently that they're they're trying to promote is the their league play which is kind of the same idea this slightly more casual for fun style of playing the game where you can come in and play your league games you know whenever you have a chance and there's no strict time you have to be here you just kind of like show up bring your bring your deck it's it's very uh unstructured in the sense that like you know, there's no deck list. There's no real rules enforcement. There's no judges. This is kind there of, is no round one start time. There is just show up. And, yeah, show up and hope maybe somebody else will have a league deck. You can play some games and have some fun. Which um, is another good uh, good move on their part, I think. We've actually been running leagues for probably 18, 19 years. And mm -hmm. they're some of our better events. But they are alien to some players because they just really don't understand. When time does it start? I'm like, anytime you want, man. I mean, official time is 4 o'clock to 8.30, but you can be here earlier if you bring a friend and you want to play some league. <laughs> the other alien concept is like, what do you mean it's scored over time? I'm like, oh, you don't get prizes today. It's a four-week-long league, and we'll pay out prizes at the end. So for some people, it's, it's difficult. But we have a really good crowd because we've been doing it for a while before, you know, Wizards sort of did their own version. Now we're following their version to try it out their way. Um, I, I like it. I don't know. How does it do in your store, Gary? Um, absolutely no traction at all. Really? Just absolutely cannot get people at all interested in, uh, in coming in, um, to, you know, at, the thing that seems to be the advantage is what weighs against people. So I'll be selling, you know, singles to people and say, Hey, there's, you know, we're running a league. You can come in whenever you want. And like, well, you know, I get off work at 11. <laughs> is there anyone there? Well, I, I don't know if there'll be anyone here. Oh, well, I'm not coming in then. 
Yeah, that's so, a chicken you know, before the egg situation. Of like, right, exactly. Is there anybody they're playing? I, you know, I, I get that. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard because you need that seed. You need to have a couple of people that are going to lounge around right. in the store and be there for people to play. Until that happens, it's difficult to get it off. Um, you know, I almost feel like at some point in time you might go, hey, Tim and Bob, I'll give you a pack if you just show up every Monday <laughs> to play in league and see if that gets some traction for you. Because, yeah, it's, starting it off sometimes can be difficult, and I understand. So. Yeah, I think it has the same trouble as trying to, like, break into a new format for a lot of a lot of stores, right? Like, you, if you've never run Modern before or Legacy or something like that, and you're like, oh, we're just going to start putting up a Legacy night on the schedule, you don't know if your players will come out for it, right? So, like, if the first couple events you don't get the – you get, like, five people showing up, and you're like, well, I can't really do anything with this. Sorry, guys, go home. Then you're probably – they're just going to stop showing up too, and you're never going to fire the event, right? You need that, like, that minimum to kind of, like, get things – the critical mass to get things going. And I guess League has the, the other problem of, like, yeah, it's just – there's no set start uh, set start time so it's even worse there's even less reliability as to when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen at all you can be there for four hours and not play a game nobody shows up nobody's interested right so like yeah there's there's even more uncertainty built into it so yeah i can see why you'd need to spike it a little bit be like okay you know you group be here i'll make it worth your while give you some free stuff but be here and be here ready to play and maybe that'll kind of like get the ball rolling well, it has one advantage over, well, you're right, it's got several disadvantages. One advantage is you don't need eight, right? You can do two, you can do yeah, three. Right. So it just takes a couple of people to get it started, hopefully, and then you get the other people interested in playing. Uh, we found that it's, it's our shoe-in for newer players. I even tell them before, if you feel intimidated by, you know, round clock, all this stuff, just come to league on Mondays, right? Every Monday we run league. And, I don't know. We'll see because we want to follow the, the official Wizards one, but what we used to do is rotate it so we kept it fresh, right? It's excellent for Commander. That was that was something that we would do. When a set first releases, we do a, a sealed league. So we rotated them every four to five weeks. It would be a different league format, and it kept it interesting for players to try different things, especially the newer players, sort of like, what's this sealed thing that we're going to do? I'm like, hey, you get stuff. You leave your cards here, and at the end of the league, you take them or whenever you want to drop out, you know, so you have a limited pool of cards. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the gateway drug to the gateway drug itself. Pretty much, yeah. I don't know, Gary. Give him a couple of packs. And <laughs> a couple of guys to stick around. Um, it's it's all I can do to monetize my game space as it is. Um, paying people to sit at my tables and take them away from uh, paying customers who want to play yeah. a board game. I'm just not seeing it. No, I get you. And it's a matter of luxury. In other words, I, I have the space, so I don't really care. It's paid for, right? So if I had a situation where it's like, I'm sorry, guys, there's too many people that have rented the rooms and done all this yeah. other stuff. And then, yeah, you guys are out. So, but, yeah. If I had that much extra space, I'd stick more retail product in it. Eh, yeah. Tell that to my OP guy. He just doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just cost money every month, right? So, yeah. That's always the question, isn't it? How much? Like, it's always... I guess that's a good argument you always have in yourself. It's like, okay, so I've got these tables sitting here that aren't really doing much for probably like 90% of the day, 80% of the day, something like that. I'm like, I could put something here that actually sells, right? So it's, it's really hard to like, okay, how much are these tables like building my business? How much is, is the play space really adding to the overall revenue, right? It's really hard it, to quantify too. It drives the bean counter in me insane because there is no, I mean, you can make correlations, but a direct correlation of like, it's so difficult to prove that like, 
because I hosted yeah. this event. I, I got this money, this money yeah. dollars in sales. Yeah, there's yeah. Yeah. no direct it's, causation. It's certainly no, because some you, will, you will have customers that buy because you have events that don't play in your events. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you, you just can't, you can't say, well, he played in our event and then he bought something. So therefore we have a one-to-one -one correlation. It's, it, it, it's much more complicated than that. Yeah. In general, I, I do believe that yes, hosting events does drive traffic and there drives some level of business. How can you exactly quantify that? It's near impossible. I mean, um, somebody asked a question in one of the forums we're in that, uh, you know, Hey, how are your sales compared to the previous pre-release? And the problem is for me, the previous pre-release, we had a cosmic alignment of craziness where the Pokemon pre-release and the Magic pre-release happened on the same day. We made it happen on the same, whatever you want to call it. So how do I quantify the people that played there? How much sodas did they buy? How much um, chips? How much were they here for Magic? Were they not here for Magic? Or were they just, you know, sleeves, for example. Did they buy it for Pokemon? They buy it for Magic. It's the same card size, right? Yeah. So. They just buy it because they need to sleep and then they left and never played in the event. And by that same token, how many people come into my store, pick something off the shelf, go home, and they will never use my game space ever. It's hard to quantify. We yeah. see that all the That's time. When, we, when we're doing a pre-release, we get people in all the time that, that come in and go, oh, magic, yeah, I played that in a while. Oh, there's a lot of people playing. Yeah, maybe I'll pick up an intro pack. I haven't played in a while. Let's see what magic is doing. I hear that all the time. I haven't played in a long time. Let's see what Magic's up to. W would they have bought that intro pack if that event wasn't happening? Probably not. You also get the, is this still going on? I'm like, where have you been? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So is the yes. Yeah, so is the NDD is pretty big, right? So, yeah. 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 And it's, it's one of the, it's kind of related to one of the more frustrating things about the game business. It's, just, it's really hard to quantify so much of it. And like, imagine trying to optimize for game space versus retail space. How would you ever possibly know, right? There's like so many variables that go into it. You'd never be able to really understand like, oh, I need exactly 63% of my floor space should be retail. And then, you know, the rest should be play space. And like, that's the perfect number. How do you know? You never, you, there's no way to find that out. It's no, the same it changes thing with, every day. Yeah. It's the same thing with just like marketing in general. Like, you know, there's, it's so hard to know something that you put out there resulted in a sale from somebody who saw it and came in, right? You have yeah, no, right. there's no connection, right? right. Yeah. Well, it's really hard to find that connection anyways. If you talk to an economist, he would tell you, you guys need to shut this industry down. You're insane. It makes no economic, like you need how much space to generate how much revenue and no, open up a yeah. restaurant, open, you know, if you want high risk, do something else, you know, so yeah. Yeah, it's funny, I, I just related to that, I read an article, uh, just before we got on about how uh, if, if the economics were like just pure, if like interest didn't involve or wasn't involved in business, if what you cared about didn't matter, every business would be a brothel and every website would be a porn site because <laughs> that's where all the money would go. Right? Like, that, that's where you would optimize towards money. Just you know, Corump isn't too far from here and it, it's legalized prostitution. I could just open up, um, the, you know, they'll never leave, I mean, fundamentally, but... <laughs> Nothing but shoe stores, as far as the eye can see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too bad we care. Or maybe that's a good thing. It is. I guess uh, the final thing I wanted to chat, chat about today was that uh, uh, another article that I included on our, our notes was that the, the hobby market is now over $1.4 billion. 
$1.44 billion mm. in sales apparently in the US and Canada, which is actually sounds, massive sounds growth. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot. It's actually like, it's also massive growth too over 2015. It's, so that's the good news. It's the good so news. Two things about that would be that, the, that I think I know the article you're talking about is that realistically speaking, those are estimated numbers, right? So True. you got to take them with a grain of salt. Um, there's a limited amount of the realistically problem. Part of the problem with quantifying things in our industry is that there is no real kind of like solid. Look, if I wanted to go see what the real estate market was doing in Vegas, I can really find some good solid data. Right? I got enough of a statistical sample. I got um, when it comes to this stuff, it's mostly like, I don't know. I talked to 10 stores. They say their business is up, right? Kind of situation. <laughs> Or this distributor told me what their numbers are, but not the other five, you know? So, so there's a little bit of that. There's no question about it that we are in a golden age of the geek. There's definitely more business going our way, uh, which also means more, you know, attention from the IRS and all this other stuff that we've talked about in the past, right? I mean, we're becoming mm -hmm. an industry. We have to grow as an industry and mature. We have to become actual business people, right? That's what we argue here all the time. Um, but, I'm going to quantify this, not, not in my pocket. All those $4.4 billion didn't end up with John's shop. So we've, seen, we've seen growth, right? Um, we've also seen a growth in expenses. So, you know, it's, uh, right. mm -hmm. And there is a certain, like, fear, um, and I hate to use that word, but there is, when is, is this a bubble? When is it going to pop, right, kind of situation? So it, it's, I caution people to think that, oh, it's a booming industry. We should all go make money there. It was that easy. I think we all would have been driving Ferraris by now, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. The question is: Is this a trend or is it a fad? <laughs> this is, there's no way to know. This is, there's no there's no way to know. The growth is because the casual market is taking an interest in our product. Sure. Uh, it's not because geeks are buying ten times as much stuff. Um, the the casual market, I mean, is uh, the one driving those huge numbers. And like John said, you know, most of the hobby industry is private companies. You know, they don't, they don't issue reports of their earnings like public companies. Yeah. So we, we don't know. Um, but we do know there's, there's a much higher level of competition at the retail level than there's ever been. And uh, much higher level. I, I'm not a publisher, but I certainly see the number of people getting into the publishing game. And that's even more concerning than the number of retailers that are growing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Gary and I know of several retailers that are flat out said, man, I, I can't keep up. I'm just carrying this and that's it just because the offerings are too much. And I mean, I don't, I don't know where to, because I've seen some mega stores that are 10,000 plus square feet. You know, I'm only 7,500, but even I struggle with like, there is no way I can bring in all the yeah. board offices, right? And with crowdfunding being a big thing, removing barriers to entry at the publishing level, it means that you're going to see more publishers. And you just, you don't know where the next big hit's coming from. And I'm always, I'm always, I think this personal unfortunately sometimes that I don't, when the customer gets upset, what do you mean you haven't heard of this game and why don't you carry it? It was a starter. I get that it was funded with $20,000 and that sounds like a lot of money to you. What? I can't get it. It's not even on my radar, you know, or uh, I made a bad choice. I didn't stock as much sight as I should have, as much gloom even, you know, so it's, it's interesting growth bringing some challenges that hopefully mm -hmm. we're going to be ready to take on. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I guess the nature of the game is changing. Just in general, like technology has enabled a lot of, like you said, new publishers to get into it. Like crowdfunding has kind of changed the way, well, the way publishers sell to customers, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of uh, Kickstarters goes direct to the customer and have cut out the middleman, but then that kind of like have kind of pissed off the game stores a lot and now they're kind of 
working them into the system to be like, okay, you get, there's retail uh, levels of commitment for, you know, the crowdfunding game or crowdfunding campaigns. So it's kind of going back towards, they're trying to figure out an equilibrium so that everyone's happy and everyone kind of enjoys the benefits of what's going on. You know, um, a side effect of this. So the Kickstarter thing, I, I really, I'm neutral about it. I'm not upset. I mean, if this is the way you got to make your game and this is the only way you can make your game, go ahead, do it by all means. Um, I take a little bit of a standoff approach to research publishers to use it as a regular thing. And that's, that's changing too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, Gary, I think there's more and more publishers now that are offering us some kind of like get in on the Kickstarter right kind of situation. But the interesting thing about the industry growing is I was just talking to the guy from, there was a guy from Skybound. I forgot his name. I'm so horrible with these names. I'm sorry. But he was in the story. And one of the things that they've seen rise is a challenge for publishers is the rise of counterfeiting. Um, especially when you have games that are based off just the simple card game kind of situation, there is a flood of stuff coming from the Asian market, let's say, um, of counterfeits of looks close enough to, you know, literally some customers don't care. Hey, whatever. I want the game and I don't care if it's a counterfeit or don't notice or they don't notice. Right. I mean, it's that whatever or not, but that's, that's an interesting challenge that wasn't there before. There's all this print-of-demand capabilities, all these things. It's easier to fake a game. Uh, Cards Against Many has a huge problem with that, right? I mean, it's yeah. A, yeah. way easy to, to, to do that. Um, and then the, the Skybound has a, it's a cute little game. They have two games, Red Flags and um, uh, Superfight, that are really mm-hmm. fun games, really fun, casual kind of like party games. But, you know, they're cards. So, again, he said, and in that particular case, is one of the biggest challenges for them is just dealing with Amazon and, you have to prove that it's a counterfeiter. You have to buy from them. You have to show the product. You have to prove that you are the original license owner. Like, you know, it, it's this complicated process. And in the meantime, that product just keeps coming out from those sources, right? And people just buy it. And it's a significant loss of revenue for them. So. Yeah. Now, that was a, one of the bigger things in the last couple of years for Magic. That was a big scare, right? Like there were a lot of really, uh, a much better counterfeits coming out of, like you said, the Asian market that, uh, were very close to like the real deal. Like even the, uh, the little foil stamp at the bottom was getting closely replicated. You, you know, if you looked close enough, you'd notice that there were differences and it wasn't quite right. But if you weren't looking closely, it could pass, you know, like if you didn't know what to look for, you could easily kind of like, yeah, this seems good enough. This seems real to me, right? Like a legit print. But uh, that was something that uh, the magic market was kind of facing. I was like, okay, so what's going to happen if there is a flood of counterfeit product that comes into the market that, that is good enough for like 95% of the population to not realize that it's an issue, right? Like what happens to the secondary market then? Like what happens to the businesses that are kind of based off of that? What happens to wizards when like people can't, like how do they keep ahead of the counterfeiters, right? Like that's always a challenge for them. And they seem to have done it like relatively successfully. Most of the, at least uh, right at this moment, the counterfeiters can't quite replicate what wizards is able to produce. And you know, it's, still fairly obvious that there's a there's an issue but uh i guess also like regulation wise they've kind of like gone after the countries associated with those like okay please stop you know go to these business these trademark intellectual property maybe not super important to those countries as much as it is in uh, north america but you know they're still helping to enforce those laws a little bit to kind of prevent the counterfeits from getting out but that's something that's going to be a problem in the future Right, like as printing technology, especially with card games, with printing technology becomes better and cheaper, and it's easier for people at home to create 
like really good counterfeits, you know, copies like replications, that's going to be an issue facing the card game industry sometime in the next probably decade, right? That's going to be a problem for them. It's an issue. Well, like John said, it's, it's, it's a problem right now. I mean, we, we buy more and more things directly from China, supplies and dice and things like that. Um, because we can buy in bulk and get a, get a better, better, uh, better cost for them. But as I'm shopping for, you know, the things that we're buying in China, I'm seeing tons of counterfeit stuff go by and, uh, it's getting easier and easier to do that, that, you know, even casual criminals can just you know, buy it, bring it in and, and sell it. We're also seeing a lot of increased communication between retailers. So yeah, the publishers are working on things uh, to, to clamp down on that, but retailers are communicating with each other. You know, as soon as we find something that's, that's, doesn't smell right, we'll communicate, you know, names and, and exactly what happened to all our local retailers and let them know that this person is shut down. Now it's, um, it's difficult for us too, because I mean, is the person the one actually trying to do the act or is he literally an innocent victim of like, I didn't know this was a magic counterfeit card, right? So it's, it's, there are some difficulties with how to deal with those things. But in general, Gary, you're right. If it's a guy, he's pretty much doing it intentionally. You know what I mean? We got to watch out for what, what the patterns and where he's going, what's going on. But communication is essential. I also like the fact that there's much more communication going on between retailers and publishers now in this day and age, right? So we help each other out a lot with these kind of things. Yeah, it's supposed to be a symbiotic relationship, so communication is pretty important. So that's yeah. good. That's good. All right. Well, is there anything else you guys wanted to chat about? Is there anything that uh, we didn't touch on? That I can pick up off my head. Those are the major issues, right? The major changes. Yep. Okay. It seems like a good place to wrap up the show then. Well, thanks for coming on the uh, on the podcast, guys. It's been a while. It's good to see you guys again. We thanks very talk. much. Take care. We'll talk to you again day, soon. Guys. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode of the Metaverse Podcast. All the links to the articles we reference in the podcast can be found in the show notes at metaversesaga.com forward slash MVP064. All right, I've been a little hush-hush on this, but as a listener of the Metaverse Podcast, you may have noticed some new pages on the Metaverse Saga menu. Over the past few months, I've been in the process of building out the members-only premium side of Metaverse Saga. This is where I will be posting in-depth courses, guides, and templates for specific strategies for growing your game business. So we're talking about step-by-step how to set up Facebook ads that convert, how to build an e-commerce site and sell your stock online, streaming events, and video production, and more. It's also the home of all the past episodes of the Metaverse Podcast. It's what I call the vault, and where I'll be posting special members-only podcast episodes in the future. I'll continue to post regular content on the free side that focuses on the why of certain tactics, but the meaty how-to stuff will be available in the member section. Now, it's currently a work in progress, but if you're serious about growing your game store, it would be great to have you as an early bird member. Uh, My goal for the premium membership is to be your virtual gamma, a treasure trove of resources and shortcuts and strategies that you can access from anywhere with an internet connection. Well, I hope I've tickled your fancy a little bit. I will be sharing some more about what's going on behind the scenes soon. I want to thank John Covillo and Gary Sprawl for coming on the show again, and I want to thank you for being a listener to the Metaverse Podcast. I'm Tom Traplin, and I've been your host, and it's been a pleasure. Remember, stay strong and play the game. I'll talk to you next time.